0: Okay, let's talk about the church. Here is the biggest problem I think today in the realm of understanding what it, means, what it means to be a man in relationship to Jesus, what it means to be a man and to be a man in your home who pastors his family, who provides for them, who protects them, is somehow there tends to be, especially in Albuquerque, I'm not sure, I have some suspicions of why this is the case, everybody seems to check out when it comes time to doing church. Um, I've even created my own word for that. I think we live in an ecclesiological, promiscuous town. By that I mean I think people move from church to church to church to church here. And what happens is that men who take time to cook, all right, they take time to bake, they take time to mature and grow before they begin to hit their impact stage, just move to the most popular thing around. And the end result is the church isn't mature and the sad result in that is that the city really isn't impacted. I think we have a huge problem. If you are a younger dude, and by that I mean 34 and younger, it's been insti- especially as a follower of Jesus, it, sadly it's been instilled in your generation that somehow being committed to one local church isn't a biblical concept. And so most young people have to deal with even a basic ecclesiology of what does it mean to be a part of a local church. Or we define church in a really unbiblical way, like it's me and my buddy hanging out, the two fools having a pint along with fish and chips on a Saturday afternoon watching soccer. Now, I wouldn't do any of those things with my buddies, but some of you would, and you'll call that church. And so I really think one of the biggest issues that we face is we have to redefine church. What is church? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a part of the church? And I think, again, because the foundation has been laid in our city, with kind of the backdrop of Roman Catholicism taking place over centuries, and probably most uh, Protestant manifestations in the city aren't really ecclesiologically sound, meaning they don't have a well-defined concept of what church is and what does leadership look like in the church, that we've produced uh, men in this town who really don't get church, and they don't really understand how deeply the Lord Jesus loves his church and how profoundly important it is to be a part of the church. So... Let me see if I can't bring this through another angle to you in the realm of illustration. Uh, this past week was a hard week for my family because my brother and his wife and their family lost their, their dog. They loved their dog, Valentine, a yellow lab. She'd been around for 10 years. Um, I'm not a pet lover. I'm really not. But I love that dog, and really was, she really was the best dog ever. I love that dog because my brother loved that dog. And, and for me to love my brother is to love his dog. Even more <laughs> important, for me to love my brother is to really love his wife. I can't really say that I love my brother if I don't love the people that are in his family that are dear to him. So many of us today, as men, basically are communicating that we love Jesus, but we don't care for his bride. His bride is not important to us. You guys have seen this morning, through the lens of Ephesians 5, how deeply and passionately and sacrificially Jesus loves his church. So I want you to be confronted a little bit this afternoon with the thought of you can't really say you love Jesus and you're in right relationship with Jesus if you don't love the church. And I want to make the point that you can't really say you love the church if you're not actively involved in being a part and serving the local church. Let me throw a verse out for you here, and then we're going to look at a bigger portion of Scripture. Listen to this. This is from 1 John 4. Um, verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. We saw that all morning, didn't we? Everything begins with God's initiating love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There are so many implications from that. How can you love a Jesus whom you've not seen and not love, and not serve, and not be committed to the visible expression of the people of Jesus, the local church. You just can't. It's impossible. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want to give you guys a picture this afternoon briefly, and then we're going to have a time of question and answer with Pastor Ryan and Pastor Michael up here as well. I really want to challenge you of this third pool that we're talking about. The base, the the first pool, the first spring is our relationship with Jesus. Out of that pool, out of that overflow, flows into our homes. And out of our homes, the love that we have for Jesus and the transformation he's bringing as we're pastoring our families has everything to do with who we are as ministers in the church of Jesus. Um, Again, and so if there's problems there, it it goes upstream. It ultimately means there's a problem with Jesus. I think in this city, we have an enormous problem with how many people profess a love for Jesus, but who absolutely don't love the church. And what I want to show you the next few minutes is you can't, you, you can't do that. It's impossible. There's a lie somewhere, and, and more than likely the lie is that you really don't love Jesus. So let me pray. We're going to work through a passage of Scripture in Ephesians 4. We're going to have a panel discussion, and then we're going to break up into our own local churches to end the day and kind of talk about what this means. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for these men. I love these guys. It's been such an encouraging day just to be with them, and it was exciting to hear the conversations that happened over lunch. And and this is just the beginning, Father. This is about um, continuing a conversation of what it means to be in submission under Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be exalted in our time together. Let us catch a glimpse. Let us catch a gl- glimpse, Jesus, of how deeply and profoundly you love your church, how committed you are to your church, And then we pray that through your spirit and through your word, you would prick our hearts with where our lives and our affections and our time and our money and our energies are out of step with your love for your church. I even pray, Holy Spirit, that in these next few moments together, some of the guys in this room would catch a glimpse of how you want them to serve others in the church by leading. So I pray that you would give men visions and pictures and and, and images and and scriptures that help them see what it is you're calling the church to and how they're to serve. And Lord, I pray for those of us that are here as pastors and equippers that we would be good stewards of the guys you bring us. Uh, Jesus, build your church up in the city. We pray for every local expression uh, where you're honored, where you're esteemed, where your gospel is preached, that there would be health and growth. This isn't in any way about a few churches getting it together. This is about the Church of Jesus in Albuquerque. And we pray that you would do a great thing here. In your good name we pray. Amen. Ephesians 4. You guys have already seen how profoundly through Ephesians 5 Jesus loves his church. I want us to walk through a passage that you're going to see very similar language. Remember why Jesus saved us. An uh, image of the church was a bride that needed a bridal bath to be cleansed so that that bride uh, moved towards holiness blamelessness, fullness, that the church would actually reflect in every way, positionally and practically, the glory and radiance of Jesus. And so you're going to see the similar language fall out of this text. Let's begin in verse 1, and let's just read through the first few verses together. Ephesians 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Again, you guys see that. You see the pattern. What's first? Identity is first. You've been called to this new identity. Now, out of this new identity, walk in a manner that's reflective. So there's consistency between who we are in Christ and really who we are together as men in community. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit. So now we're talking about the church. Big C church. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see that all language again? What two words do you see there? All. Jesus is to be preeminent in all. Now we see the Father being preeminent through all. And what's the other word you see over and over again? One. Oneness. Unity. Okay? Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So now in the midst of proclaiming this unity that we have by our identity in Christ, that Jesus isn't just calling individuals to himself, but he's calling a people together to call him by his name. So we have this unity that bonds us all together. Now we're beginning to see there's diversity, and that diversity falls out in the gift of grace that Jesus gives to us. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. That's Psalm 68, if you want to write that in your margins. Parenthesis, verse 9, And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Uh, we could talk a lot about that. I really don't want to, but I think that means Jesus came to earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So whatever we're talking about, and it's going to come into clarity here in just a moment in the verses that follow, we're back to the preeminence of Jesus, right? That he might fill everything, that he might be preeminent, but now he's preeminent in his body, the church, which is called together in unity by the common work he's done, but also in diversity that each one of us have different gifts, different assignments within that body. You get the big picture. Here's where I want to camp out. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see that? you see what's going on there? What are we talking about? We're, we're, we're syncing up two concepts, this bride. Who's becoming blameless and spotless and without wrinkle? Who's going to be presented to her groom, and, and, uh, for, for his enjoyment? But also, now we're talking about a body that reaches maturity. But it's the same concept that we grow together towards completion. We go, we grow together in fulfillment. And God's provision for that happening is He gives some, namely apostles and prophets. And if you go back to Ephesians two, you'll see that, the, that those were the those were the two categories of of men that God used through his Holy Spirit to finish out the New Testament. Okay, so we're talking the apostles and prophets, the completion of Scripture. They're finishing everything that we need to know that was canonized to understand who Jesus is evangelists, and we see a picture of evangelists in Timothy and in others, Paul the apostle goes out, he starts churches, he gets them going, he he calls Timothy and he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist to continue the process of building the church out wider and deeper so the church is gaining root. So we're talking about then the one whom God calls to tell people about Jesus in a way that they respond to Jesus and they're added into the church. And then we see a fourth, a fourth category, depending on how many categories, if you want to see four or five, of teachers and pastors. And some, some put those together. Who are responsible then to, to grow the church up. But all those roles together have one function. What is it? What are they to do? They're to do the work of ministry, right? I'm not wrong, fooled you. They're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you see that? That's a powerful distinction. Most of us have grown up in a tradition of church, especially if you've been in the church for a long time, where we hire a guy. We call him pastor. We call him reverend. Uh, Michael's church has really cool titles. I don't understand them all, so I won't even try to go into them. I think there's right reverends and most reverends and really cool things. But, but the idea is, historically, we hire those guys to do the work of ministry, right? They, 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 do, they do everything from teaching to preaching to praying over us. And if you're a church planter, which Los Griegos is going to have an opportunity maybe to be someday soon, you clean toilets, you, you put up sandwich boards to draw attention, you know, you do the work of ministry. It's not really biblical. The biblical concept is, is these people are gifts of grace to the church and what they have in common is a speaking ministry, a teaching ministry to proclaim the gospel of Jesus so that the church is equipped. That word's an interesting word. It's the, it's the same word that's used for, for taking a bone that's been dislocated or broken and resetting it. Do you get that sense? So in essence, all of God's people are broken bones. God gives to his broken bone body. Uh, men who communicate the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit according to his sovereign gifting so that lives are brought in line with healthy doctrine or true doctrine, bones are reset, and then the church ministers to each other so that what? The body reaches fullness. So think about two things, two things that you're referred to in this text, your saints and your ministers. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, nice to meet you, I'm a saint, and let them respond, oh really, I'm a minister. Go ahead and do that real quick. I want that to set in. Well done, guys. I think it's hilarious that when someone introduced themselves to you as saint, you laughed at them. That's that's not good. I caught that. I'm Saint Anthony. Ah, You know, we're saints. Saints means to be set apart. All Christians are saints. All Christians are to be ministers. And your role is to minister as you're equipped so that, what? The body is built up. Do you see how we're, we're kind of mixing metaphors a little bit? We're mixing pictures. Jesus has saved us so that we might, we might be his, that we might be his bride. And as his bride, we might be wrinkle-free, blemish-free, spotless, and holy. And his process of doing that has really unveiled a chapter earlier in 4 where he gives to the church, Gifted pastors and teachers and evangelists, apostles and prophets, so that the people of God, the saints of God, those set apart for God, are equipped based on healthy doctrine so bones are reset and then the church grows to fullness. So you can see what happens. If, if, if Jesus doesn't give the gifts of those leaders to lead through the proclamation of the gospel, then members aren't equipped. If members aren't equipped, then the body doesn't grow to maturity. I want, you to, I want you to think about that. That puts an enormous importance and weightiness on your role in serving the church. Because the implication coming out of this text is if you're not ministering, if you're not serving, guess what? Body's immature. Now, here's what I would tell you. That's exactly what's going on in our city. That's exactly the dysfunction of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Is that's not happening and we have by and large unhealthy church we have no perfect churches we're all in process but by and large we th- i think we've we've adopted a little bit of the roman catholic mindset that frames our region out and most guys that we bring into pastoral ministry are holy men and they function as a priest or as a shaman and they are the holy men who get up and speak we come and hear them every week we ask them to come touch us and bless us when we need help and then we are disconnected from the church, and then that means that ministry isn't happening because you guys aren't involved, you guys aren't committed, you're not being utilized, and therefore the church is immature. Here's how I know it. Uh, I've been a part of several, I've uh, been here now for, since 95, been back here, so 15 years roughly, and I've had an opportunity to rub shoulders with um, different guys who do stuff across the board in churches, nationally, globally. So uh, years ago, when the Franklin Graham crusade came in, I got to work with those guys. Um, Greg Laurie's group has come in town here a few times with the, uh, what is that, the Harvest Crusade? Uh, Other groups have come in trying to do things, and everyone says the same thing. This is the most uh, disunified, disjointed group of Christians that I have ever worked in. And this isn't a casual statement. These are guys who go everywhere. Well, again, if we look at this text and we work back towards the beginning of 4, we would say... Okay, we're not fulfilling God's purpose because all this that he's put together was towards his church growing together in unity. His big C church growing together in unity and people being mature and growing up. So we we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Albuquerque, we have a problem here. And I think that problem is probably fleshed out today in your attitudes towards your involvement, your commitment, your role that Jesus has called you to play in his church. Let's finish out this text, and I want to draw out a few, uh, a few examples that might help you, that might convict you. Verse 14, back to growing together in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, literally truthing in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into christ that's a that's a powerful statement here's what i see happening a lot in our city and maybe this happens broader we're to truth and love we're literally to call each other out to speak the gospel to each other and we're to do it in love i can't tell you how many times as a pastor uh and, and 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 leading uh a group of men that i've seen this transpire guys will go to other guys they'll see their sin they'll be direct As men, we should be kind to each other always, but we should be able to talk at a different level with each other, right? We should be able to speak to each other as men, speak truth into each other's lives. I have seen a pattern, particularly in the city, of men respond when they are confronted with truth and love. Now, remember, you're not supposed to discern whether you're being spoken the truth and love. That's for the speaker. You're to humbly listen to what somebody is saying to you. I've seen so many men in this city get offended, get hurt, That someone would dare say anything confrontational or unkind to me. And what they do is they pick up their ball and they go over to the next church. And that church gets stuck with their problems. It's a maturity issue. Okay, hold on to that. We'll go back to that in a minute. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Same language again, really? Jesus is the head. He's preeminent. And his preeminence is most beautifully demonstrated when the body is functioning in its entirety and is healthy. Here's what I want you guys to see. As your life is oriented and rotating around the centrality of Jesus, as Jesus is preeminent through his saving work, through the work he's doing in you and for you, as you begin to act out your identity in him, guess what? You need to be radically and deeply committed to the local church. So much so, and your role is so important in that, if you don't, guess what happens? The the, the, the the idea from this text, the big idea is the, the, the preeminence of Jesus won't be on his display as fully because the body will be either contorted or immature or unfinished. You see that? Let me see if I can't break this down for you in a few ways to think about this through an experience I have. As I shared with you, Earlier, I'm a part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, and we hope to be gaining more partners soon. Is it okay to say anything, Pastor Ryan? Sure, sure why not, Dave, since you already did. <laughs> Am I sure not say anything? No, no, I don't know anything about that. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> we want to we we see churches planted, we want to work together with, with other churches. So just forget what I said there's a public announcement, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> we can neither confirm or deny that report. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say. One of the things I get to do is I get to assess men who feel called to go out and plant churches. Here's what we see all the time in the Acts Nine network. and I've done this 30, 40, maybe 50 times. What we can do is we can peer into the marriage relationship of the church planter and his wife, and you can almost draw from that the type of church that's going to be planted. It's amazing. Why? Because these things are synced up, right? Remember how we said, if you have a problem in your marriage, meaning you're not pastoring, you're not providing, you're not protecting, then it's ultimately a Jesus issue. If you're not serving in the church, it's ultimately a Jesus issue. At some point, you're worshiping something, someone other than Jesus. You're worshiping your leisure time. You're worshiping being a consumer, You're worshiping something. So it it all goes back to Jesus. Remember the concept of the terrace pools on the hillside. So when we see a problem in the marriage, we typically say to church planters, this isn't going to work because all you're going to do when you go out and plant the church is the church will be a photocopy of your marriage. So let me see if I can't, through that concept, through that analogy, give you guys some categories to think through the way that you treat the bride of Jesus because oftentimes the way you treat the bride of Jesus will be reflected in how you treat your own wife. Now, I'm going to give you some case studies as we do this. I'm going, these are real people with real histories, but I don't want to reveal their names. So let's just say their names are Peter, James, and John, kind of the, the senior leaders among Jesus' discipling team, all right? So some of you will treat the bride of Jesus like a waitress. This bride that he loves, this thing that we call the church— that he died for, that he lives for, that he might be preeminent and all, that he loves passionately. His wife, if you will, to be, you treat her as a waitress. So let me tell you first about Peter. Peter came into my office, uh, and he shared with me pretty openly his struggles. Peter has been to church, church, and church. And there's a pattern in Peter's life that he was very quick to reveal Typically what happens, Peter goes to a church. There's something that's going on there that doesn't meet his expectation of organizational excellence. He brings it to the attention of leadership. They are unwilling to comply to what he thinks needs to change. So he goes and he finds another church. Peter was an interesting guy because as Peter shared his testimony, it was dramatic and it was powerful, but it was all about Peter and it wasn't much about Jesus. So I made a mental note. You, 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 You... you, you function the role as a pastor long enough. There aren't that many creative stories. You see the same thing over and over again. You're like, okay, I can tell where this thing's going to play out, but I'm just going to watch it and be discerning and, and monitor it closely. Peter and his family, they, they come, they get involved in, in the church, and he goes to one of our community groups. Now, our community groups are a little bit different by design than, than maybe some of the small group Bible studies you guys have been in. Um, my one problem with small groups is what we do oftentimes is we get together, and we mean well, but we get a bunch of guys together. none of them are really have been trained to teach the Bible, and so we sit around in a circle and we all affirm each other's ignorance, right You know, oh yeah, I think that sounds about right. That's what that text must mean. Um, and so, so we do that, and the, in, the end result is is most small groups take two paths, neither one of them are transformational. One of them it's all about information. So we just get together and we, 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 we act like we're a team that's preparing for the world championship of Bible trivia. All right so let's get this passage out to you know, and we're talking about facts and history and language and culture and abstract theology. Or, or oftentimes, uh, our small groups take another pattern of being affirmational, right? And this was an affirmational group. When, when you come to the reality that you're the greatest threat to your own growth in Christ, it's you. The Bible says it's you. Uh, Jesus says, and unless you, um, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You're not really worthy to be. So you're the greatest threat to your own spiritual growth that you'll ever find. But we build this small group concept around affirmation. So typically there's one dominant person, right? This person comes week in and week out, unloads his problems, and they're enormous, and they're ridiculous, and they're burdensome. And what do we do? We sit around and say, oh, you're a good dude. We love you. Come back next week and do the same. So we don't like either one of those paths because neither one of those are transformational. So what we do at Mars Hill in our small group structure is is we're confrontational. We're going to take the truth, and we're going to confront each other, and we're going to work through a pattern of redemption that says, let's talk about plainly, openly, where we're falling short in obeying Jesus. And hopefully through this process, we'll gospel each other. We'll bring each other back to all that Jesus is for us. We'll repent, and we'll turn, and we'll be transformed. And it's amazing what happened. Well, um, Peter went to our meetings, and he didn't like it. And I think he didn't like it for two reasons. One is, his first suggestion was, we need to let everybody talk more. Namely, what he was saying is, you need to let me talk more in this group. The leader doesn't let me talk enough. Probably the group had to say, because he wanted the affirmational model, no, not do that. The second thing he says, we need to get deeper in Bible studies. Now, the Bible is great. The Bible is awesome, and we need to have the Bible um, coming through as our means of transformation, because the Bible is a book about Jesus. The Bible doesn't transform us, Jesus does. And Jesus has presented the Bible, so I'm all for that. But what he really wanted was a Bible study where, again, everybody sat around and they shared their own uh, disinformation, or they sat around and they confirmed each other's ignorances. So we said to Peter, Peter, you know what? Sorry, this doesn't measure up to what you want, but we've tried this. It's been field tested. It works. So we want you to stick with it. And here's the really cool thing, Peter. Here's what God is doing in your life. Every other church you've been to to this point, you've bailed on right at this point, right when things didn't go as you should. Here's your opportunity to experience transformation by staying in a church that doesn't do everything perfectly. Peter thought that over, and he met with me, and he said, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. As a matter of fact, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to sit back and worship. I'm going to be there on Sunday. I have no intention of being a part of the small group ministry because it's wrong, it's flawed, And I'm not going to do that. So me and another one of the pastors got involved at this time. We said, Peter, you're not going to stay in this church. You're either going to be committed to the whole thing or not at all. So either you come and you participate, because that's what it means to be a member in Mars Hill. You're either pursuing membership as a Christian, or you're going and finding your fit elsewhere. You can't stay stuck forever. And, And Peter moved on. Now, Peter's basic problem is he's never found a pastor that's dumb enough or weak enough yet to do church his way. That's really his issue. But Peter is acting like he's a restaurant critic, and the role of Jesus' bride is waitress. He even had the gall to tell me that the ministry that Jesus had called him and his wife to was go to church, to church, to church, see where their flaws were, correct those flaws, and to see if they'd be responsive. Are you serious? He told me that. I said, I can assure you that that's not Jesus' ministry for you, and he was floored. That's what some of you are doing. That's what some of you men are doing to the bride of Jesus. To the collective people of Jesus that he loves, that he died for. You're showing up for dinner at her table as a restaurant critic. You're telling her to go back in the fridge and bring you something better. Do you see how inconsistent and disrespectful that is? Some of you need to come to terms with that today. You're doing nothing more than treating the church like a waitress in a diner. And if she brings out enough good stuff, you might give her a little bit of tip. This is the bride of Jesus. She deserves your respect. She demands that you join in, that you're a part of her, that you serve her, that you love her. Sure, if things need to be corrected, bring them to the appropriate attention. But you're not there to be the critic. That's not the role God's given you. God's given you the role to be humble, to serve, to love, to nourish, to cherish. Some of you treat the bride of Jesus like a maid. And like you're on vacation in a hotel room, and so it's okay for your kids to eat it's okay for your kids to eat gooey chocolate chip cookies in bed. And it's okay to spill food all over the floor. And you leave towels out and you do things that you would never do in your own home because there's some poor gal that comes up behind you and cleans up your mess. Some of you treat the bride of Jesus that way. I told you Peter's story. Let me tell you about James. James is a good friend of mine. I've known James throughout most of his life. Uh, James had to relocate to Albuquerque. Uh, he had a job in the proximity, and so he moved here. Uh, I knew his family well, and it wasn't long before James and his wife asked to talk to me privately. We're sitting in a, in a counseling session. I can remember it clearly. Right there in the loft, guys, right above the Buffalo Exchange there on Central. And, and, and James begins to tell me all the reasons why he doesn't love his wife anymore. How he, she hasn't been kind or good or, you know, hasn't been caring about him. And I've heard this before a million times, just so you know. What that really usually means is that James has found another woman he wants to pursue, and he's making up reasons so that he can ditch her. So we listen to James, and uh, finally finally, uh, finally, we find out that, that James indeed has not only another woman in town, he's brought her here from out of town. Uh, she's staying at a hotel while he's living with his family, and he's going to marry her within a few short weeks. So we call James out along with the other members of his family. We do kind of an intervention thing. We call him to repentance and it's really cool because he responds. He breaks off a relationship with this woman, and uh, and he begins to get involved in the church. But there's a limit to his involvement in the church. What, 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 what James really wants, and it becomes more clear over time, is he wants us to clean up his mess. Now listen, we're here for each other all day long, and there are clearly times... When we, as brothers in arms, as a band of brothers, have to say to our brother, You gotta help me. I'm playing hurt. I'm deep in sin and I need your help. But again, ideally, we wanna transform that person so that person becomes no longer strictly a taker or a consumer of the church, but one who gives. I love the passage in Ephesians 4 that talks about the thief, right? Some of you guys, I know, steal stuff. You have in your past. You've come, and the, the picture of a thief and the transformation of a thief, let him who steals steal no more, but work with his hands what that he might provide for others, right? That's the transformational picture. We come to the church broken. It's okay to be broken, not okay to stay broken. It's okay to come deep in sin. It's not okay to stay deep in sin. And so the idea is we, we get the initial triage we need, we understand who Jesus is, and our lives begin to be corrected and adjusted. Then we go on, and with the comfort that we've received from Christ, we in turn extend it to others, right? So initially, James looked like he was going to be that guy. But I began to watch his home closely. And again, close friend. I got to see his home all the time. It was a mess. Even though his wife had forgiven him and their relationship had been restored, he refused to be pastor dad. He refused to take responsibility for leading his wife and his kids. And this perpetuated. So kid after kid would grow up and leave his home not knowing Jesus, not knowing the Bible, where his dad would be more of a buddy and a pastor. And so ultimately it came to a head in this conversation where, where James and I sat down and James said, just want you to know we're leaving the church. And I said, well, I, I'm, I kind of expected that, but I'm sad. Why? He said, we need to go to a church where there's a more elaborate youth program because our kids aren't doing well. I said, wow. I said, can I share with you a piece of my mind? I didn't ever, I don't really ask that, I just do it. I said, um, <laughs> I said, let me tell you what I think about youth ministry. I said, I'm really conflicted about youth ministry because in many ways, youth ministry is a compromise. Youth ministry basically says, we don't trust the dads in our church to to raise their families, so we're going to step in and we're going to fill that void. And we're going to put a lot of money and a lot of energy into games and creativity, and we're going to be a surrogate parent. I said, what I would rather you do is find a church that, James, that confronts you personally, that helps you be the man that you need to be in Jesus so that you can lead your family. And I said to him, I said, I got to tell you, i have old enough now that I've seen a lot of kids raised in the church, and I've seen kids that come from what most would say is a bells and whistles outstanding youth program, and I've seen kids come out of a, uh, out of a, out of a church in Ecuador that's got nothing, you know, has, they don't even have pizza, for goodness sake, for their group, you know, they have nothing. They eat guinea pigs in Ecuador, I promise you. It's Let's gather the youth around guinea pigs. See how well that goes, you know. Happens. And I said, uh, here's what makes all the difference. If, If these kids have a dad who loves them and leads them, that makes all the difference in the world. So I said to him, James, I think you're absolutely avoiding the issue. The real issue here isn't whether or not the church offers a good youth program. The real issue is your continual denial, your continual denial to be the man God wants you to be in your home. And he left. That was it. He was offended, actually. Imagine that. He was offended. He laughed. And the patterns persisted. Because when James looked at the body of Jesus, when James looked at the bride of Jesus, he didn't honor her. He didn't cherish her. He didn't esteem her. He didn't commit to her. He saw her as a maid. Hey, come in and clean up this mess I've made in my life. And then as the maid kept going, he just moved in and he stayed at the hotel. He never left so that he could make messes all the time and the church would sweep in and clean them up. Some of you look at the bride of Christ as nothing more than a maid. Now, now listen to me. You need to get help. If you're stuck today, then, then, then get help. But be transformed. It's okay to be stuck. It's not okay to stay stuck. And as you're transformed and as you experience your identity in Jesus in a new, powerful way, then turn and serve others. Commit to others. There's no perpetual consumers. That's not the way the church was designed to be. You might consume for a while, but you're transformed, and you go from a consumer to a provider. You help others who need help. Third thing. Now, you're going to have to bear with me. You're going to have to let me explain this. Otherwise, this will go south real fast. Some of you men treat the bride of Jesus like a porn star. Let me explain that. Let me me tell you what I mean by that. One of the things that's interesting is, by and large, not exclusively, by and large, women don't get porn, do they? I don't know what that's about. You know, it's just weird and twisted and sick, and it is. It is. But the, way, the reason they don't get it is they don't know how we are wired as men, how we're visual people. Here's kind of the concept of pornography. As I've talked with guys, as I've counseled guys, as we have interacted over what's really going on in your heart, I've seen a lot of men turn to pornography not just for the sexual pleasure it gives them but the affirmation it gives them in other words here's a woman who's probably beautiful who's voluptuous who's out of my league and yet through this virtual cyberspace image i have of her she's never she's never not affirming she's she's always willing to go to bed with me she's always willing to do whatever i want her to do and so you create a false intimacy With an electronic image that's really not even real, and you don't have to take her out to dinner, and you don't have to pay the bills, and you don't have to raise kids with her. And and it's a it's an absolute it's an absolutely virtual relationship. Some of you do that with the church. Some of you do that to the church. Told you about Peter, I've told you about James. Let me introduce you to John. John is off the charts in his commitment to treat the bride of Jesus like a porn star. John is a guy who has literally built his celebrity and his fame through the church. He's been a part of a church with a massive media outlet. He, he, he has utilized that, and he's had a lot of FaceTime, and, and so he's built a celebrity persona through the media of a church. But you know what? He doesn't attend worship. He's not a member. He doesn't serve in any meaningful way. He actually sees the church as as something that, that steals his time. So here is a guy who's built a career, actually made money off the church. Now, when I talk to John, he'll tell me things like, Oh, no, I, I listen. I, I podcast all the time. I podcast Driscoll. I, You know, the Holy Trinity, I podcast Driscoll, I podcast Chandler, I podcast Piper, you know. Great. That's wonderful. What are you doing to serve and love and be committed to the local church? Nothing. He even had the gall to tell me one time, I've done the cool church thing. I've done the sexy church thing. I'm not going back. That revealed to me exactly what he perceived the church to be. The church was merely... Uh, An unreal relationship, a virtual relationship that was strictly there for his own self-advancement and gratification. Do you see that? See how disgusting that is? It was really one of those rare times where I just prayed, Holy Spirit, restrain me because I feel my fist moving toward John's nose. You know, stop. That's That's not an effective way to do ministry. That's what some of you do. That's how some of you treat the bride of our Lord Jesus. It's a cyber relationship. It's not real. You may go and participate and hear some cool music and get a good sermon, but you're not serving, you're not giving, you're not committed, you're not involved, you're not nourishing, you're not cherishing, you're totally disrespecting the bride of Jesus that he died for, and you're doing nothing better than treating her like a porn star? Are you serious? Do you know what you're dealing with here? And when I push on you, you always go to this ridiculous philosophical, well, I'm not sure the Bible talks about it. Yeah, the Bible talks about it everywhere. And Jesus' heart is broken over the way you treat those he loves. As a matter of fact, I want to pull out 1 John 4 for you one more time and say, how dare you say you love Jesus who you can't see, but you're absolutely using and abusing and objectifying his bride. Give me a break. And all you do, all you do is you go to wherever the new hot star is. You go to the next starlet. You buy her CDs and you watch her online and you create a totally false relationship that's not deep. All for your satisfaction. Not that she might be ministered to. Not that she might grow to fullness. You know what kills that relationship? You know what absolutely would kill that Porn star's career, she keeps her clothes on. She keeps her clothes on and goes into acting. Nobody wants to see her movies anymore, right? Once she becomes a real person to you, it's like over. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I just know I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing, especially, especially you guys. I love you, you younger guys. It's ridiculous. Absolute ridiculous. And I'm so tired of when we press on you and say, let me explain to you, because we love you, not because we hate you, but because we love you, let us explain to you the joy and the freedom and the transformation that's involved in going deep for a long period of time with a church and building lifelong relationships and then you act hurt. I'm tired of when we make a transition that you leave like it's some kind of supermarket that changed its logo, a restaurant that changed its menu like, oh, we're justified, we're out of here, it's not what it used to be. It's the bride of Jesus. Here's what's going on. For most of you, I'm watching you be changed by jesus most of you and those of you i know i'm watching your homes be radically altered not perfect and some of you have gone through some deep ugly sin and repentance and confession to get to this new place in your life but as i'm watching your family be transformed having a having a wife and kids who see pastor dad catch on fire for jesus i'm watching our churches flourish look around the room guys this isn't common. This isn't unique to have this many men come together, this many young men come together. Here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to call you to serve. Many of you guys are going to be elders, pastors, and deacons, and church planters, and missionaries in the years to come. I can see it happening best thing you can do is you can find a church and plug in and go deep and be faithful and be patient and love and serve and give yourself away and watch what Jesus does. The rest of you, I just got to tell you, he loves his church. If you want want to make me mad, you know, step on my toes. If you want to make me furious, disrespect my wife. Do that. See how that goes for you. here's what some of you are doing. You're treating the bride of Jesus like she's a waitress, like she's a maid, like she's a porn star. You need to repent. Today's the day of change. For those of you who are faithful and committed and burned out, we love you. We appreciate you. We're sorry that the rest of the guys in this room are killing you. By not doing anything but guys if you're not doing anything guess what in just a few minutes today we're going to have an opportunity to break up into churches and as we break up into churches we have paths for you to get involved so today's the day everything can change there will never be a profound movement of jesus in albuquerque if the church of jesus isn't healthy church of jesus will never be healthy if the individual homes that comprise that church aren't jesus centered and the individual homes that comprise the church that impacts the city will never be healthy if men don't begin to understand who jesus is that he's our head to be preeminent and he's our savior Who didn't just give us a free ticket out of hell, but who radically transforms and alters our life. Let's talk. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, my heart is just heavy now. I love these guys. So many of these guys I know personally, and they're leading their homes well, and they're leading their churches well. And I pray that they would be encouraged pray that they'd be supportive. I pray that those here who are not doing anything would rather than walk away feeling condemned, would be repentant, that they would turn from their selfishness, that they would turn from disrespecting your bride, that they would turn to you, and as they turn to you, that they'd find meaningful places of service within the church. I pray, that, I pray that Trinity in the Marketplace would be strong. I pray that Desert Springs would continually be strong. I pray that Mars Hill would grow up and be strong. And I pray for all the other local expressions of the body of Jesus in Albuquerque, that they would be strength. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would renew your church. I pray that you would raise up a generation of men who love you and are loyal to you, and who are submissive to you, and are who you want them to be at home, and that they serve and love your bride, and through your radiance and through your glory, the broken people of the city who don't know you catch a glimpse of your glory, and we see the city turned upside down. That's a tall task that only you can achieve. We pray that you would walk us forward from here. In your good name we pray, amen.